You can't keep using tools of oppression and expect to raise free people. This week on episode 121, the final one in the Do Better series, we're talking about doing better with intuition, giving ourselves more permission to trust and to develop a sense of trust if we need to, right? Because for some of us, it's missing altogether. A trust in our own intuition. Intuition is the topic here. And we've talked about this before in episode 94, Moji, with the Wellness Spiral podcast series, talked about it in the episode with intuition and birth. And then before that, on episode 63, which I'm going to link to both of these on the show notes page. On episode 63, we talked with Aisha about intuition-driven travels. Loved that episode. Shout out to Aisha, (laughs) who I think might be like in Berlin now or Spain. I don't even know. Another nomadic mama. And then Moji, shout out to Moji, who I know is in Benin, West Africa at the moment. Those are two women who helped us talk about and explore intuition And I'm going to read an excerpt from something that I wrote connected to intuition and children. And then you're going to hear a couple of perspectives from women folk that I love (laughs) about intuition as well. The show notes page for this episode where you can get the links to previous episodes and this excerpt from this essay and anything else that we come up with that's good and useful around intuition for you will all be on raisingfreepeople.com forward slash one to one. I think it's a widely accepted or at least known thing by now that that society doesn't really value intuition as much as it should because it's a thought process. So when I hear it doesn't matter what your intuition says, an adult saying that to a kid, in one form or another, because adults tend to be really cryptic, (laughs) then it devalues their thought process because children are just taught to follow along. And then you think later on, when you're an adult, that's when you can think. But by that time, things happen in life and you're going to be, I don't want to say alone, but you're going to be in your own head for a lot of it. So it's important to develop intuition as something that you can rely on as insight into how you really feel. You could be told a million and one things about how to feel if your pet dies, but if your intuition is saying it's fine or maybe it's better this way, I don't know, something you wouldn't expect. That's what I would say for someone to trust and for someone to really dig into on a larger scale. I think a good example of me exercising intuition happened just now. I just recorded that little snippet of my thoughts for you. And I wanted to keep talking because, you know, my part is not even two minutes. But my intuition said that's really all you need to say and continuing to speak is just gonna muddle whatever messages are in your head so little things because for all the times people say nobody knows you better than you most of the time that's true
I've had instances of mother's intuition or female intuition, whichever you want to call it, that happened in my life that I can talk about freely because I felt so strongly about them. And I know, I know for sure that it was my own intuition that caused these things to work out. The first one was the inception of my beautiful daughter. I was young, 19 years old, late 19, going on 20. And one day I just started feeling some pains in the pelvic area and all of that. Kept going on for a few days. And I said, you know what, let me just go to the doctor to check this out to see what was going on here. Went. Doctor told me that I seem to have a cyst, a growing cyst, and I'm going to need to have surgery to remove it. And I need to do it right away. And I said, okay, doc, let me go home and think about this. And he says, no, 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 there's nothing to think about. You have to act right away because this thing, you let it stay there. It can get worse and lots of things can happen. And I said, thank you. Call you back tomorrow. Or I'll come back over here tomorrow. I knew when I was walking away that I wasn't just going to rush and do what he told me to do just because he told me to do that. So I thought about it and I'm like, but where would I get assist from? I mean, <laughs> as a young girl, eat a lot of fruits. I'd eat like 10 mangoes at one sitting. Yes, 10 little mangoes, lots of oranges. I just felt like I was too healthy to have cysts and it becoming something and all of that. And my intuition told me, nah, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I am going to get a second opinion. Nobody had to tell me to get a second opinion. I just decided because I didn't even want to tell my parents about it. So I went and I got a second opinion like about a week later. The pains were still going on in between that time, but I was there trying to work my thing out. The other doctor told me, he said, ma'am, you are pregnant. Of course, that, that one was quite a surprise. And he said, but what is happening is that it seems that you're having an ectopic pregnancy. And I said, an ecto who? Because <laughs> I had no idea what that was. So he said it's a situation where the egg starts developing outside of the uterus. It attaches itself elsewhere and all of that. So I said, how dangerous is that? Would the baby survive? Does that mean I'm going to die? All kinds of questions. So he said, truthfully, a lot of these pregnancies don't make it, especially if it's positioned at a real awkward place. Sometimes, most of the times it requires surgery to remove it. And he says, sometimes it works itself out. The egg will just stay there and travel to wherever. And I'm like, but how is that though? How did it get there in the first place in the wrong part? And then it's going to, he said, once in a while, they've seen situations like that. But most of the times it doesn't work. I chose to hang on to the part where he said, sometimes the egg will work itself out and come right back down into where it needs to be, into your uterus. I just told myself that that is what was going to happen to me. So to make a long story short, that's exactly what happened. I mean, I experienced some pain in between, but I said, you want to bet that, you know, I'm going to be one of those people where it's going to work out. And it sure did. On top of that, ectopic diagnosis and all of that, 
I didn't have a very supportive partner at the time. I'm like, I'm doing this because if I come this far to survive the misdiagnosis about having a cyst and then now an ectopic pregnancy, I am going to have my baby. So it was really crazy. It was a really crazy period in my life. I was pretty much alone throughout the whole pregnancy because there was no support and all of that. And I'm like, something is telling me, my intuition is telling me that my baby is going to be all right and everything will be all right. Sure enough, my beautiful daughter, who you all know as Akila Richards, came into the world, my only girl. I felt that... I should keep her. I should have kept her, go through the struggle. From the beginning, getting my second opinion, hoping that she will work her way into where she needs to be and not having a supportive partner. And here she is today. My second example of mother's instinct or female intuition or mother's intuition with my first son, that's my second child, my child after Akila had a normal pregnancy in terms of health and all that. A few issues here and there, but the day came for him to be born and went, had him, and that day, they, you know, where they would do the normal thing where when a baby comes out, they slap them on the butt and they yell and all of that. He really didn't do his right away. And when he finally did it, it wasn't strong enough. So they were feeling that, hmm, we have to watch this little one and see. Spent three days in the hospital, which is usually the customary time you just spend after you have a baby. Went home with him. While I was in the hospital with him, he showed me how much he loved to eat. That child, because I breastfeed, I breastfed all my children. That child would just grab that breast with, and somehow both of his little hands <laughs> would be on them and he would just be plugging away at it. But I noticed that after getting home one evening, I think it's two evenings after I got home, he wasn't eating that much. Like earlier in the day, he had started to dwindle down. But by the time it got to that evening, he wasn't eating at all. And I'm like, something is wrong because he's normally a good eater. I wonder what's going on here. Dad at the time said, ah, it's a baby. He'll eat when he's ready. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. He's too young to not be eating. He has to eat. And since it's just milk and, you know, that flows through them, their bodies so fast, I'm just... By the time it got dark, this child turned dark. as well. It was starting to turn dark. And I'm like, no, 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 this can't be. I'm going to have to do something. I'm taking him to the hospital because he's not eating. And then he's getting dark. His lips are getting dark. My partner at the time said, it's okay. Maybe by tomorrow he'll eat, start eating again. Just wait it out and all of that. I covered the baby up in the room, went next door, knocked on the neighbor's door because he was a taxi driver. And I said, please, can you take me to the hospital with my child? I don't understand what is happening. He's not eating, blah, blah, blah. I said, sure. By the time I got to the hospital with my baby, the baby was blue, B-L-U-E, in my arms. And the head nurse at the time looked at me and she said, if you had waited 
until in the morning to bring this child in, you would have been bringing a dead baby to us. What this child had was, and then they begin to explain what it was to me because it had something to do with that same sound that I told you about earlier, him not making a strong enough sound when being slapped or tapped. Slap sounds like a strong word, right? <laughs> when being tapped on the butt at the time, turned out that he had something called patent ductus arteriosus, where when a baby is tapped on the butt, that first cry out that they do, ah, they take air in and it is supposed to work in conjunction with the lung, seal off some duct in doing so. For him, that duct did not seal off. So he was bleeding internally and his lungs were being swamped with blood. That's the explanation I remember that they gave me for him. And I pretty much saved his life coming in at the time because right away they rushed him into surgery, did what they had to do and saved my baby's life. And that's Howard Palmer. That's my oldest son. I named him after that doctor. That doctor's name was Howard Spence. I was so grateful to that man for just jumping onto it, just making a move right away. Because I did my part by bringing him in right away and he did his part by just jumping in. My son is alive today. Those are the instances in my life where I feel like my intuition saved my children's life. This is an excerpt from my Saying No is Enough essay. I really appreciate your feedback on how me sharing some of my essays have been useful here. That's wonderful, wonderful. Like you do these things and you know that they're useful in some ways, but then years go by and then they end up being useful in ways you never even thought of. That's what's up. In the spirit of useful old stuff, come right back round. <laughs> this is an excerpt. And this section of the essay is called Neglecting to Teach Your Child the Importance of Their Intuition. Intuition is not exclusive to adulthood, and it can play a very helpful role in helping a child develop a healthy sense of bodily autonomy. At any age, we have feelings in our bellies or chest, for example, that are directly triggered by feelings of safety or lack of safety. Help children to name and acknowledge those feelings and to trust them. One way I practice nurturing intuition is to help children understand what intuition does. For my daughters, I like the simple definition of intuition as a kind of internal safety alarm. I give them specific examples of times that I listened to my intuition and kept myself safe and times that I ignored my intuition and wasn't sure how to protect myself when I faced danger. I'm not always sure if this is effective when it comes to my daughters, but it helps me be sure that I'm practicing what I believe will work and what has worked with them in the past. Asking them how intuition feels for them is good. That way they've verbalized the feelings and can more easily recognize and even share those feelings when they show up. 
some parents tend to direct their child on how they should interact with a new adult, right? Instead of watching and seeing how their child responds to that adult and then going from there. That is an example of intuitive inference. In order for a child to develop a sense of trust in their own intuition, we as parents have to respect their choices and decide on a safe place and time to discuss the interaction and see if our child has questions. This is where parents can be advocates and allies for our children. For example, if I meet up with a friend who has an outgoing child and I have my bona fide introvert in tow, I let that parent know that my daughter may or may not play with their child, right? This is back when my children were much younger. Or that she may not hug them, nor participate in any well-meaning small talk. (laughs) I often brought books and games and even art supplies along so that my daughter, Sage, could feel comfortable in that setting where she was accompanying me somewhere right? Without feeling pushed to engage with anyone, child or adult, unless she chooses to do so. We can also tell our children about our own experiences with intuition, as I mentioned before, and encourage them to talk, to write about, or even act out moments when they recognize intuitive feelings. When we parent without addressing intuitive feelings and how to express them, we can miss opportunities to convey the importance of words like no and stop, or phrases like, I don't want to, or I don't like that. If a child is playing with someone whose body language or verbal cues lead a child to start feeling uncomfortable, we can tell them that that uneasy feeling in their belly or chest is enough for them to warrant saying no, or stop, or I don't like that, because their bodies are their own, and they get to choose what is done to it. And more than that, they get to express their choice through consent or refusal. Also, tell your children that it's important that they stop whatever they're doing to somebody else's body when that person uses those key terms. This way, we help children to start exploring the reality that they might not agree with or understand why someone is saying no to them and that that person doesn't need to explain whatever they're declining because saying no is enough. There are examples among children in all parts of the world that stem from lack of consent where children are concerned. Certainly, this includes sexual abuse, but it includes more. It also includes non-sexual activities and daily occurrences that offer opportunity to practice consent culture in all aspects of living. The point here is to become much more proactive about preventing sexual and other forms of physical abuse by adults to children and among children as well. We may not be able to prevent all instances, but if we raise young people who are clear about personal boundaries and armed with the language and clarity about their feelings and bodily rights, then we can minimize these instances as well as the harm done by them. And we can stop the cycle of children who become adults wrestling with unresolved pain and trauma from their bodies not being treated as their own property. Shout out to Tracy, who is the newest member of our Patreon family. Tracy, thank you so much for your support. Welcome. 
remember that Patreon is a wonderful way to make sure that we can keep producing this podcast every week, grown from just one woman and a vision (laughs) to a dedicated team of us, Fatima, my co-producer, Juan, our audio engineer, and Marley, our primary writer. I'll help make this happen, and you can too, by heading over to patreon.com forward slash Akila and offering a monthly donation in love, starting at as little as a dollar a month, all right? Y'all, by the way, if you have not already, make sure that you check out Learning Reimagined, a Guided Exploration. Shivani Davids and Zakia Ismail are co-hosting this online exploration of, well, six sessions, but it's five themes. De-schooling is one theme. Children are human is another theme. Unschooling is another theme. Ancestral schooling is another theme. And learning communities is the other theme. This is running from the 11th of June to the 20th of August. And I'll put the link to that on the show notes page raisingfreepeople.com forward slash one, two, one. I'm so excited about it. I'm going to be in the mix learning and chatting along as much as I can. Head over to the show notes page so that you can get the direct link to register for that online guided series. Much love. Chat to you next week.